Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Today we have friend and mentor Meredith King back with us at it again on the Radiant Podcast. Meredith has dedicated her life to helping people get unstuck professionally, personally, and in their faith journeys. She is the founder of True to Life Ministries, which has impacted thousands of lives and become a resource for organizations across the country and serves on the senior leadership team with Integris Leadership. She is a sought-after speaker, teacher, and now author with her book, Immovable, Reflections to Build Your Life and Leadership on Solid Ground. We talk about it all today. We talk about rejection. We talk about failure. No stone is left unturned, and we really get down to the nitty-gritty. I'm so thankful for her input in my life and her ability to coach me into being a better leader, and I know you're going to have so many takeaways from this conversation. So, Let's get down to business and hear what Meredith has to say. I'm so excited to introduce you to her. Hey, Meredith. Kelsey! I'm so glad you're back with us on the Radiant Podcast. Oh, my word. It is the greatest privilege to be here with you again. Thank you for having me. Always. Seriously, you're always welcome back. I love you. So you have had a lot of changes since you've been here um, (laughs) in July because we all know that in the course of a year, everything can change. So I'm saying, yeah, catch us up. Tell us what's going on, what you're doing now. Um, You're still doing some of the same things, but also a lot of new things. Yes, seriously. Everything has changed in the last year. And to just top it all off, we moved yesterday. So I think that is the perfect culmination of transition is physically moving houses, not cities, but houses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, a lot has changed in the last year. 2017 was just full of so much transition. You know, I start every January with just some quiet time with the Lord I don't just have quiet time with the Lord in January, but I have a very very specific routine to start the year off. And man, January of of 2017, God just rolled out some plans I wasn't expecting. So the last time I was on the podcast, we spent a lot of time talking about the nonprofit that my husband and I started in 2009. And, you know, one of the things that the Lord just established in our hearts from the very beginning is that we were stewards of that work, not owners of it. And we knew that at some point in time, I would no longer be the best person to sit in the executive director seat. We know that we'll have a role and a passion for that work, you know, for forever, for as long as the Lord allows us to have breath. But, um, At the beginning of 2017, I was praying over the staff at True to Life and the offices before everyone came back from Christmas break. And I I went to sit down in my office and it wasn't the audible voice of God. I've never heard that. But I, I know when God is talking to me and he just said, it is time to get your office ready for the next person. I'm like, what? Everything's going so well. All these amazing growth opportunities. So that started Uh, a year long transition, which I totally identify with the story of Gideon from the Old Testament and the Bible of fear and faith and fear and faith. And God, is this really you? And God was so patient with me. And it's been the most beautiful transition. So I'm now in a new role with True to Life Ministries. It's a voluntary role called founder and exec and not founder and executive director, founder and vision ambassador. And True to Life now has a new executive director who's doing a fantastic job. And so I get to be a part of big picture strategy and some fundraising and um, encouraging the staff. I've unofficially labeled myself the fun aunt <laughs> for the team to get to just encourage them and, and still champion the cause of the work. And later on in the year, I accepted a senior leadership position with an organization called Integris Leadership that uh, equips ministry leaders all over the world. Um, 
and tries to encourage them through leadership training and organizational development help and such an honor and privilege to get to serve the kingdom um, on that spectrum and, and at that level. And I wrote a book. So, you know, it's just, it's been a wild year, Kelsey. That's the summation of it. It has been a wild year. I'd say so. A wild year doesn't even begin to cover all the change and transition. So I want to start with, you know, holding your business with open hands um, and the idea that, you know, you don't own what you're called to steward. You mentioned mm-hmm. something along those lines. Yes. Better said on your end. Um, what was that like letting go of something that was your baby, even though you know it's time and you get to play the fun ant role, you're still involved, <laughs> you're the visionary, you're the founder, but you might not be in the nitty gritty details every single day. What was that like? How do you know when that's time? Well, you know, I think the Lord was just so gracious and that he established it in the beginning. You know, when we started True to Life and gathered people around our dining room table, when it was all just an idea, we knew then that we were stewards of it. And I I didn't know what all that meant, you know, but I think a lot of it has to do with just the posture of our hearts and whose kingdom we're really building. You know, are we really building the Lord's kingdom or are we building our own? Are we building his fame or our fame? And that, I have not walked that road perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, but that's really, you know, the difference between being an owner and being a steward. There's a parable in the Bible uh, where Jesus, you know, tells the story of, of this master who divvied out bags of gold to his servants and went on a long trip. And when he gave five and when he gave two and to one guy, he gave one bag of gold and he goes on a long trip. He comes back, um, the guys who received multiple bags of gold, both invested what they'd been given and multiplied it. And that made the Lord light up, made the master light up with happiness. And and that's where we hear the verse, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share in your master's happiness. But the guy with one bag buried it and the master didn't call him conservative, didn't call him cautious. He called him lazy. And, um, and, and the servant had all sorts of excuses for why um, he did not do something with what he'd been given. And I think comparison robs us so much of, of stewarding our lives well. But um, that story has, has played such a role in shaping my perspective of what it means to be entrusted with gifts, talents, passions, vision, because it belongs to the Lord. And so... Um, so what are we going to do with it? And he's gracious and allows us to be a part of his story. So we knew that that was our role from the very beginning with true to life was to be a steward of it. That's still our role. Um, even though my job title has changed and I will say this, Kelsey, even good change is stinking hard sometimes. So we have experienced the full gamut of emotion of, enthusiasm and a little sadness. There's a sense of loss because oh, I, b- I believe it. Love our team. I mean, they are just amazing people and I love working with them every day. I love seeing that we're family. So um, knowing that I wasn't going to be there every day definitely brought the sense of loss, but so much peace, so much peace in the process, knowing that it belongs to the Lord and it's not contingent on me. And that there's so much freedom in that, but it was hard. Absolutely. As you started transitioning, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you started transitioning out of the idea of, you know, being in the day-to-day nitty gritty without knowing what's next. What was that like? (laughs) I think that's just how God works with me. It's not, he really doesn't lay out uh, much visibility for me when it comes to obedience. And And maybe it's because it would be overwhelming or I wouldn't believe him. I really don't know why, but that's kind of his MO in our relationship is to say, Meredith, here's your next step. And you don't need to know anything beyond that. It was kind of like that when we started True to Live. And then it was like that when it was time to transition out. And I, I kind of pushed pause, you know, from, I feel like the Lord made it so clear in January and I went back and forth with fear and faith 
uh, believing God, but still doubting the timing, the provision, because I didn't see how it was all going to come together. And all the other pieces were starting to fall into place, except my next assignment. And I didn't know what it was going to be. And my husband just asks really good questions. And, and one day he just asked me, what are you so afraid of? Because God has has provided for us every step of the way. And he is going to show you, you cannot wait because you're not even doing fully what he's already asked of you, which is to transition. So do that because we know that for sure. And he will show us what's next. And so that was a good kick in the pants. <laughs> I'd say so. And I'm thankful for husbands that remind us, hey, it's it's always been okay. Yes. Um <laughs> What is it like, you know, one thing that came up this weekend is that we we get to moving so fast that we stop to celebrate what what happened. Like, you know, what happened since you started True to Life and as you're transitioning to be able to probably pass it off and be in a position that you actually wanted to be in prob- probably for a while. The mm-hmm. fun ant position, I think, running any organization, um, especially if you're a visionary, um, when you finally get to move into doing your best work as the visionary without your hands and all the details. I'm sure that's kind of a moment where you're really excited to move into that role, but also it's hard to let go of all the things. And it's also hard to stop and celebrate um, the victories you've had along the way. You're just thinking about all the things you have to do next. Mm -hmm. Um, How have you learned to stop and celebrate? I love the topic of celebration and it is not a natural tendency tendency for me to stop and celebrate along the way. I really have to purpose in my heart to do that. You know, one thing that really helped is understanding that obedience for me wasn't just about me. When I was obedient and moving into this new role and handing off the executive director position to someone else, it wasn't just right for me. It was right for the kingdom. It was right for true to life as a whole. Um, It was right for the person who's now sitting in that seat because she's amazing. And that was her next assignment was to sit in the seat uh, as the executive director. And all the other domino effects that occurred were all part of God's plan. And so to see that really unfold was really, really special. And, you know, the True to Life team is kind of unique. A lot of the people who have worked there through the years have have been my lifelong friends. I just have really smart friends and I'm a firm believer, you know, hire the smartest people, you know, and in many cases, I just got to hire all my friends kind of (laughs) throughout this story of true to life, which was so neat. And, and then the people that I didn't know before, but that we ended up inviting to join our team. Well, they're our friends now. And so it really, uh, that analogy certainly carries through, but um, knowing that it was the right thing for for the people inside of the organization to move into their new positions and and how those dominoes fell just brought such tremendous joy. And because we really love each other, I was, they gave me the freedom to feel all of the emotions. So when I was feeling a little sad, um, I could say it. I didn't have to pretend like I was just super enthusiastic about everything all the time. If I, I could be honest about those emotions. When I was really excited about the future and the changes, I was free to to express that too. And so were they. And I think that was so helpful to me. That also created space to reflect and to celebrate. And Kelsey, such a humbling thing to just think about all that the Lord has done now over almost nine years of you know, from true to life's very beginning until today. And um, it took some time to journal and things like that. But we also had some, some moments of celebration as a team where we told stories and reflected back on everything that the Lord has done. And I think it built all of our faith, you know, to, to verbalize God's provision and his faithfulness. You know, our team walks into a building that was given to us and it's beautiful and it's special and full of peace and used as a tool to accomplish our work. But there's a million stories like that in our, in our history and so many more to be written. Um, so we, we had some parties, we had some prayer times. I had some personal time of reflection to just stop and consider the undeniable provision and power of the Lord. Wow. 
I mean, I mean, that's really cool that, you know, you got to see people that you've known forever move into roles yeah. that your obedience led to handing off to doors opening for them. And so, I mean, it's, it is really cool to see that domino effect of, wow, like this doesn't only affect me, it, it affects the traje- trajectory of other people's Yes. Um, and I think that's a, a mark of true leadership. So I love it when you talk about working with friends. What are your thoughts on working with and hiring friends? Because, you know, you hear and think of it as a no-no a lot of the time in the business space. But I think you actually had a really good take on it. Um, and I would love for you to also talk about, um, you know, navigating those relationships and doing it well. Because, you know, you have an interesting and a take that was really refreshing for me, but also think there's still kinks to work out along the way, of course. Yeah. You know, I think leadership is just full of kinks. It doesn't matter who you're working with, Um, but you know, healthy organizations are made up of healthy people. And so I think, you know, the management books say, you know, you should separate your personal life and your work life. And maybe some people like to work that way. But I spend a lot of time at work, a lot of hours in my week, and I would prefer to work with people that I love and like than people that I tolerate. And so I think if we're going to invest a significant portion of our life there, I mean, how much more rich and meaningful and full of purpose is the experience when we're walking that road with people that we love and respect and cherish And I had a mentor in my life say to me one time, you know, the management books tell you not to hire your friends. I think that's silly because I want to be friends with the people that I work with. And if I'm not before I hire them, I should be their friend within about a month's time. And so what's the difference of hiring somebody that already is a friend (laughs) versus um, that's just not a friend yet? And I think that's such an easy and logical perspective. I think the key is, Number one, the organization's culture has to be healthy, um, which includes good communication, a solid plan for how you're going to handle conflict. And you hire people who already are living your core values because you can't teach them. Um, But if you do that, then it can really be a beautiful thing. Are there some awkward moments? Sure. I find it best to just call them what they are and just say, hey, okay, this is like work conversation and it has the potential to be awkward, but I'm just going to lay it out for you. And then you just call it what it is and and keep moving forward. I love that. I think that is actually really helpful and as simple of an idea as, hey, let's just lay it out that this is work. It's a little bit awkward. It would help. It would really help me and my aversion to conflict with friends, especially about work. And I've had experiences with friends while working that made made our friendship really hard. And so I can be really protective. But also some of my best experiences have come from working with friends. So just like at work, you're going to jive with some people and not others. Mm-hmm. It's the same when you bring a friend into the situation. I think too... Uh, it's tempting to want to bend the rules. Like, you know, if you're, if you're hiring for a position, it's great to want to hire your friends, but they need to bring the skills and abilities and the experience that you need to the table. I mean, that kind of goes without saying, but you know, I think if we start tailoring positions to people that we're headed for trouble and for disappointment. Um, so it's just, if I have friends who apply even today to work with True to Life or any of the other organizations we're involved in, you've got such a thorough hiring process and I'm never the only decision maker. So I just tell them up front, if you think there's any chance that we can get to the end of this and you're not chosen and you're not going to want to have coffee with me next week, don't apply. Just don't even start the process (laughs) (laughs) because your friendship's too important to me and I'm going to have coffee next week, you know? So yeah, uh, just laying it out there and making your expectations clear and uh, you know, we could, we could go on and on about that, but I I think it's, I I think if you do it right, it can be the most valuable, rich experience ever. I love it. I found the same. I literally have a friend sitting and working at my house right now and it's just, the greatest joy when you can really get in a flow and dream together and mm-hmm. then get stuff done together, you know? And I think the older I've gotten, the more I've been able to healthily transition out of the workday. You know, the the uh, friend I work with now is one of my dearest friends and we effortlessly transition to dinner table conversation and stop talking about work. That's um, good. Which I... 
used to not be able to do. Um, and so I, I've seen that as I've grown in my ability to lead and to work from a healthy place. I also don't work 80 hours a week anymore, so I don't talk about it every second. <laughs> <laughs> That's also um, helpful. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, but I, I have had some of the most joyous experiences and to be able to, to, to rope your friends into your dreams. I mean, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us about what you're doing now, how you're leading women, and you just had a book come out. Yeah. Please tell us about all the things. Okay. So my new role with Integris, uh, it's just such a fun thing. It, I was actually working with this team before we started True to Life. And what an honor to be back with, with something that I never stopped being passionate about. I love the idea of investing in leaders who are on the front lines of building the kingdom in their cities and their communities and their countries. Um, so we work with ministry leaders, whether we're working with pastors or church planters or parachurch ministry team members, um, both international and, and here in the U.S., um, to support them and encourage them and help them lead well, because I think that you know, as God is drawing people to himself all over the globe, he's raising up his people to do that. And most of us sign up for work that we're passionate about because of passion, right? So we, if you're in vocational ministry, because you want people to know about Jesus, or if you're on the front lines of fighting sex trafficking, it's because you really care about justice and people being free. And, um, but just because we're passionate doesn't equip us to lead in a way that multiplies. And so we want people on the front lines to be successful. So I am privileged to help lead our team um, in that effort uh, to make sure that we are equipping and encouraging those leaders. And so uh, we get to work with men and women, as I said, from all different aspects of ministry. Um, And so for me, that looks like one-on-one coaching or leading masterminds or facilitating uh, trainings for teams, developing content, um, and just building relationships with, um, with leaders. And then obviously supporting our team internally. So um, to help them be impactful and effective. So it's an incredible privilege. That's really cool. And I love what you said because it's really true. Like most of us get into whatever we're doing because of passion, but it doesn't always translate into healthy leadership. Mm -hmm. And so what do you see some common pain points for people and some top tips you would advise for people who are working out the kinks along the way? Because I think every... Every person's going to run into this if they're doing any do good, feel good work because they get into it, they're passionate, and then they realize, oh, this is still work. Whoops. Yes. Yes. You know, I was talking to um, to an executive director of an organization that's just on the front lines of, of human trafficking and, and fighting for freedom there a couple weeks ago. And she was just explaining, you know, her challenges with hiring um, and communicating um, with her, with her staff. And I think those are two significant pain points that come up over and over. How do you hire the right people to invite them on the bus? Cause passion is good, but you also have to have <laughs> skills <laughs> and, and people have got to be a culture fit for your organization. So that's a pain point that, that I hear about often. Um, before our call today, Kelsey, I have spend an hour on the phone with another COO of a large impactful organization. And, and she was just talking about the pain of growth, you know, as, as teams grow, um, you know, when you get past just a handful of, of team members to, you know, maybe you've got more than 20 people, communication lines start to break down and it's harder to keep people on the same page. So how do you solve that? How do you communicate really well? And then we spend a ton of time just talking about how are we tripping ourselves up? What constraints do we have that are preventing us from really growing? Um, we use a, an assessment that helps us identify and create a specific plan of how we're going to grow. We all need, need to grow. We know we need to grow. But how exactly, what am I doing tomorrow when I wake up in the morning to grow my bandwidth for leading well. And so those are the most common conversations that we get to have. Um, 
and then, you know, a lot of times people are feeling stuck on determining their priorities. If I had to pick one thing or one or two things for people to really focus on, number one, I mean, there's been studies out of Harvard and Yale for years that have shown us that, you know, top performing leaders have coaches in their lives. And Kelsey, you and I have both benefited from mentors who, who help us grow. We need somebody further in the journey, or that just has a skill set and knowledge that we don't have, you know, that's one of the reasons I love being friends with you. You know, stuff I don't know. And you help me know stuff I don't know. (laughs) It's mutually beneficial. Um, But I think that's so important. Intentional growth um, doesn't happen by accident. It happens with intention. That's why it's intentional. So as leaders, if we get really specific and intentional about growth, we're the lid on our organization. No organization can rise above the constraints of its leadership. At least that's what we believe at Integris. And so I think that's a real thing. And we've got to get out of the way because God's got work to do. Um, the other thing is just intentional culture. That's such a need. Culture will develop. The key is being intentional about it because, you know, scripture says that where there's unity, God commands his blessing. And our efforts are diluted and slowed down when our teams are not unified. And with the ministries and organizations we're privileged to work with, it is like eternity is at stake. And so we want those teams and and we as leaders want our teams to be unified so we become unstoppable um, and being effective at accomplishing our mission. So um, those are some things that, that we often spend some time working on together. Girl, preach that. Uh, yes, absolutely. I, um, I too, like, I'm so thankful. Like, like you said, you know, there are things each of us know that the other doesn't, and I'm not so dense as to think I've got it all figured out. And I think whether someone is a few steps ahead or a few steps behind, you can learn something from everyone. And I think we've really, you know, got to get in the mindset. I had some conversations recently that just, you know, left me actually a little discouraged because I realized, oh, like they think they've got it all figured out. Mm -hmm. And when we get to a point where we think we've got it all figured out, I just think we're doing ourselves a disservice yes. and do, doing our calling and what we're meant to carry into this world a disservice because we can always learn something. Always. You know, some of my biggest lessons in life came from mentoring a bunch of rowdy young life girls when I was in college because it was through them that I learned unconditional love. Mm-hmm. Like. They weren't in it to teach me something. I was their young life leader. You know, they expected me to be the leader and they to just show up. And out of that, I learned some of my best lessons in life. And so I think that, um, you know, we can always be learning from anyone who is just getting started or who has been in this 30 years. You know, there's always something to learn. So I love the opportunity to link arms with other leaders. I love what you're doing. Oh, thank Um, you. Another way you are impacting people and sharing your wisdom for leadership is through your book. Mm. So please tell us about it. Yeah. You know, I think I am learning and it's just one of those lessons that's been on repeat that done is better than perfect. I, I really love to feel like I've got all the information and all the plans and all the things worked out before I take a step forward. That's not how God usually works in my life. And so it, but still it's hard for me. And, and I kind of feel that way about the book, you know, last summer we were in the middle of all of this change and transition. And I've had a lifelong dream of writing a book and, one of those conversations with my husband, David looked at me and he just said, what are you waiting for? And I said, well, I don't have all the things that you should have when you write a book. I don't have a big platform. I don't have, you know, an established audience. He's like, yeah, but what can you write today? Like what is in your heart that just needs to come out? And when he said that, the vision for this project just clicked immediately. So the book is called Immovable. Reflections to Build Your Life and Leadership on Solid Ground. And Kelsey, it's based on my favorite scripture. 
it's hard to really narrow it down to just one, but I think if I had to pick just one, <laughs> it's first Corinthians 15, 58, which says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And there's so many things that we can build our life and our leadership on that are not steadfast that are not unchanging. I, I feel like, I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes I look around at our world and our culture and I feel like we are in an identity crisis. Oh yeah. Just grasping at whatever we can hold on to for a minute to bring purpose and, and meaning and order and direction to our lives um, to validate us. And as Christ followers, our identity is not up for discussion. It has been firmly established. And when we find the freedom and confidence to lead from that place, it changes everything. So that's kind of the whole big picture framework for the concept around the word immovable. What would it look like to build our lives and our leadership on solid truth, knowing that none of it is up for discussion we have been validated because of Jesus and the finished work on the cross. We are loved by God. We, our identity is in him. And from that place, there's so much freedom. And so the book is almost like a letter for straight from my heart to the team at true to life. Um, 20 topics that I wanted them to, to have and to grab hold of. So the chapters kind of stand alone, just in logistics, you know, they stand alone. So you can kind of start and stop. They're short because I wrote it for busy people. At the end, there's some great reflection and, and um, scriptures specifically designed for us to kind of pray through because praying scripture has changed my life. I'm the preacher's kid that thought prayer was boring for a long time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's all sorts of online bonus materials that are free when you get the book. But um, the, the chapters cover a variety of topics, everything from purpose and identity and calling to dealing with criticism, man, what, what a painful reality in leadership, um, because it's just going to happen. And so what do you do with that? The whole concept of balance. And is that even really a thing? We even talk about celebration in the book. Um, to me, it's just 20 things. Literally, Kelsey, I took my journals from the last nine years from when true to life started until present day and looked for the things that have been on repeat in my prayer times with the Lord. And I, I pulled those things out and just asked God, what would you say about these things uh, to this team? And so now it's not only available for the staff at true to life, but for anyone who's willing to read it. <laughs> for everyone. I'm so excited to read it. Seriously, what were your favorite chapters to write? Because if I'm, if I'm looking at a few right now, I would immediately be drawn to margin because that's mm -hmm. what I'm learning mm -hmm. and celebrating because while I'm great at celebrating other people, I forget to celebrate myself. Um, yes. Not in a self-indulging way, but I, you know, I had this conversation quite a bit this weekend where, you know, people are saying I celebrate everyone around me, but I reach a milestone in my life and I feel numb and I just keep trudging on. Mm. Um, so those are the two I would be drawn to the most. I'd love for you to kind of ex expound upon those, but also what were your favorites to write? Oh man. You know, I think one of my favorite ones to write was the chapter on failure and this whole idea of when, when was it that we started believing that making mistakes makes us a mistake? Mm. I think there's this, you know, there's like a, a pressure as leaders that we put on ourselves to, to not fail. Um, or at least that's been my experience. I, I don't, I don't want to let people down. I don't, I don't want to let God down. Um, I don't want to fail. And uh, I tell a story of my youngest daughter, Ella, when she was about two years old, you know, we were doing the whole morning exodus with all the gear. Cause when your kids <laughs> are young, like you have to take everything from the house anytime you go anywhere. And so our morning exodus is a little crazy. And Kelsey, you know, I live on the Texas Gulf coast where it's hot pretty much 350 days a year. <laughs> and we had our first little cold spell in the fall. And by cold, I mean, it was probably like 60 degrees outside. 
because that's cold to us here in South Texas. <laughs> and we walked outside and on that first taste of, of cool weather, it just sends this energy into your body. And that happened to Ella. She was so excited to feel the cool air that she just started running in circles with so much joy and enthusiasm in the moment and just got the best of her. And she did a double knee plant right in the driveway. Oh. And she was wearing shorts because literally the day before it was like in the nineties. So I didn't know it was going to be cold. And, um, she skinned both of her knees and just burst into tears. And she was so brokenhearted over her skin knees. And so, you know, David did what every good daddy does. He just scooped her up in his arms and tried to distract her with silly songs and Cheerios while I, um, uh, brush the gravel off of her knees and our daughter Abigail who's seven now uh, sprang into action and she ran and got the box of frozen band-aids and she oh. brought the frozen band-aids down and Ella received her very first frozen band-aids which in our oh. household is like a rite of passage and a very big deal <laughs> And all of the crying turned to clapping as we rejoiced over Ella's accomplishment of getting her very first frozen band-aids. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit just whispered to me, like, Meredith, when did you stop celebrating your frozen band-aids? Like, oh man, that makes me want to cry. You know, yes, as adults, the scrapes and bruises are deeper and, and bigger. And I'm not trying to minimize the consequences of sin or just the, the deep pain that we experience, but the scrapes and those bruises don't disqualify us. And it's not like God's just saving seats at his table for the people who were unscathed. (laughs) His table is only for broken people. And that's what we learn through failure. Um, It's God's love and redemption in us and that we don't have to prove anything to him. We're proven because of the finished work of Christ. And, um, man, so that chapter on failure, I could talk about that all day. That is good girl. I mean, wow. I I, like, I mean, so encouraging to me, you know, I, I go back to that truth over and over and sometimes I just forget it. And I've got, got to go back to my own chapter and preach the sermon to myself all over again. And I think too, on the flip side of that, it's just a lesson of learning how valuable it is to share our failures with other people. Um, Mm -hmm. People need to know the real story of who we really are and what we've overcome because it lets them know they're not alone. And uh, so in the reflection section for that chapter is one of my favorite exercises. And it just, it's listing the failures we feel comfortable sharing and the ones we don't. And, but who needs to hear the ones that we don't usually share because someone does. And, um, and that's, that's part of God's redemption in it all. So anyway, love that chapter. It's been incredibly meaningful to me for sure. Ooh, girl. And then tell us about the criticism chapter, because I think for me, Um, I love to be liked. And so, especially when you're doing do good, feel good work, who wants to be criticized about, you know, what we believe is work that leaves an impact or makes a mark on the world. Um, But there's still probably going to be obviously kinks to work out along the way. We're going to receive criticism. Uh, What are your thoughts there? Because I think every leader needs, you know, a little bit of... um, we're going to have to learn to make peace with criticism. We're going to have to learn to grow from it. I would just love your input there because I think our listeners, you know, I think we're all, we all struggle with criticism. Yes. Oh, we do. And it seems so logical to us that especially Christ followers would just be cheering each other on um, because of the greater picture that we're all working towards. Not the case. I want to change that. I'm going to, I'm going to be the person that cheers on other people. I put a little quote, you know, from different sources at the top of each chapter. And this one starts with a quote by uh, my friend, Mike Foster. And he says, life is messy, hard, and weird. We don't have to act surprised anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That is is a great perspective on criticism. It just 
is. And the only way to avoid it is to do nothing. And then you're going to get criticized for doing nothing. So I guess there's really no way to avoid criticism. I think Jesus laid it out super clear in John when he's like, hey, people don't like me. They're probably not going to like you either. And it doesn't always make logical sense. I mean, here he is, the Messiah, and people are not a fan. So I, I start off that chapter with the story of my first experience with real public criticism after starting True to Life. And I'll, I'll save some of the details and let people read it in the book. But um, basically, man, it, it broke my heart to the point that I was like, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to subject my family to it. I, <laughs> they are lying about me and don't seem to care. And, and so publicly, and it, it just broke my heart. And I remember crying, like gut-wrenching sobs, telling the Lord, I think I'm done. And the Holy Spirit just whispered in my ear, is this really all it's going to take for you to quit? (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes, but no. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Noted. Yes, I want to quit. I guess no, I won't. And now looking back, I'm so grateful for that criticism because it exposed my unhealthy need for people to like me. And that has to die. I mean, if we're really going to go all in for being resolute in our purpose and what the Lord has asked us to steward, then we, that desire for people's approval has to die. And, and it's not that we become bulletproof and that nothing gets through anymore. I'm not talking about becoming hard. I think it's just learning to have the right filter. And so when criticism comes, we've got to consider the source and Is it coming from somebody who loves us and is trying to spur us on to growth? Or is it coming from a stranger who doesn't know us and who doesn't, you know, really have an audience um, with our hearts? And so I've just learned that with criticism to ask myself, is any of this true? Especially if it's coming from someone I don't know. And there have been, I could write a whole book just on criticism, but, um, you know, is, is there any truth in it? And if there's not, then just set it aside. And if I'm not sure, I just take it to one of the trusted truth tellers in my life and say, hey, look at this with me. Here's here's what's happening. Help me right size this. And the people that I love, my husband, my mentors, um, people who know me and who do life with me, who know the pretty parts and the ugly parts can help me right size it Um, and always take the high road. Responding to criticism in kind is never helpful. It's just not. Never are we going to be glad that we publicly, you know, lash out. Um, yeah. We're never going to look back and go, oh, that was such a good idea. So <laughs> <laughs> um, choosing the high road, even when the low road seems a little more fun at the time. <laughs> Man, I'm eager to read that chapter although my heart breaks for you and literally can't can't imagine walking through that. But also, like, I dread the day that happens because mm-hmm. I think it is inevitable for any leader. Um, and just the idea of being misunderstood by one people or a hundred people or a thousand people is really scary. It is. Um, and I think we all, like, if we really believe we're going to do anything of magnitude in this world, we have to be willing to face and overcome criticism. But it's really scary. It is. It really is. But you've experienced some of that, Kelsey. Sometimes people don't value your work the way that they should, or they don't agree with with your recommendations. And so, I mean, how do you handle that? You do a great job with it. Man, you know, I, I really just try to make it not about me. I also sit my butt in counseling at least every other week. <laughs> so mm-hmm. for me, I just am constantly working on how, how, how I'm handling my end. I'm never going to be able to change their end, mm-hmm. but how am I handling my internal dialogue? Um, because I do feel like, um, some of my favorite messages that are mine that, you know, are centered around, Hey guys, like we can do better. They're learned from painful moments. 
They're mm-hmm. learned from uh, moments where I've been disappointed or hurt. I think one of my biggest we can do better messages is, you know, the Christian social climbing ladder. I'm really tired of making connections with people to hopefully get that con- conference gig and, you know, going somewhere to network and see what someone can do for us. Um, and I, I've been angry about it in the past. I've been hurt by it in the past. But then I also have been like, you know what? That might be a message I can talk about, but I'm not going to talk about it from pain or put anyone on blast that's done that to me. You know, that actually is something that I think is a message for people. I can take a really painful experience, learn from it, develop a message about it, but I do not need to be developing a message when I'm still angry. I do not need to respond to someone who criticizes me when I'm still hurt. Like, Mm -hmm. I need to sit down flesh it out, work on my heart inside of it, and then see where I land and go from there before I respond. Because I I just think there's so much in the stewardship part, which I know chapter 20 of yours is stewardship. Mm -hmm. Um, So much in the stewardship side of like, how do we steward criticism? Can we use it to propel us forward and make us better? Or do we let it like grow resentment and bitterness in us, you know? And so... You know, any any pain point in my life, I really want to sit down and handle my heart end of it first and then respond (laughs) because you're right. It's never good to, you know, lash out, whether it's from criticism or an injustice you've you've seen. A A lot of what I end up wanting to talk about is because of injustice I see, but... Uh, it does not delivered in an angry, you know, hurt manner is not going to do anyone any favors, and the message is just not going to land when it's right. like that. <laughs> so, yes, you know, one of the things that's been super helpful is it's just information. You know, like <laughs> if somebody fills out a a survey about something that I have facilitated and, and gives less than a favorable review, um. It's information. It's not personal. It, I don't have to take it personally. I just need to look at it and go, well, if it says I talk too fast, are they right? <laughs> did I talk too fast? And if I did, I don't have to cry about it. I just need to talk slower next time. <laughs> and I think too, with, with moms, I think a lot of the criticism we perceive, gosh, Kelsey, I think sometimes it's not even real. You know, we, we assume that people are criticizing us or judging us and I think a lot of times they're not. And so just making sure that our measurement of real or perceived criticism is just the truth, like measure it against the truth and then move on. Um, so such a, such a relevant yeah. conversation for leaders. And it's just really good to have people who can help you measure the truth when you are having a hard time, you know, to remind you of the truth. I, you know, I I told you, you know, this weekend I had a retreat and I just had a few friends there that were my home team and could always bring me back to truth if I was questioning something I did and did that go well? Did that land right? Did I respond to that well? Mm -hmm. Um, Who, you know. Uh, for for my Enneagram lovers, one is an eight and one is a one, and they will tell me the truth. If I, you know, <laughs> if I didn't deliver correctly, they have a, no problem telling me if I missed it. And so I, I don't just have fluffy, friendly, easygoing people who will tell me what I want to hear. I have people on my home team who will tell me the cold, hard truth, but they'll also do so with my best interest in mind. You know, I know that they will, you know, lay it all out there, but in a way that is because they care about me. And I just think that's important to, you know, have people who will help you measure, who will help you really see that truth when you can't see it for yourself. Because sometimes, you know, disappointment or discouragement or pain will cloud our vision. Yes. true. Oh, so, yes. um Yeah. Okay. Where can people find you? Tell us about your masterminds, how people could work with you. Because I think so many people listening are like, oh, I want someone to just kind of guide me as I navigate leadership and where can they grab your book? Because you have just so many resources that I think our listeners would truly benefit from. Oh, thanks, Kelsey. That means so much to me. Uh, So the book can be found on my website. Uh, You can go to immovablebook.com. And I think you're going to put that in the show notes. But uh, you can find uh, the book there, including access to the free resources. So my favorite chapter is one on rest, which, you know, gosh, we could spend hours talking about our need for rest 
and how we don't have it, <laughs> how we have to create it. Um, but it, it was a little longer than I wanted the chapters in the book to be. They're all less than 800 words. The rest chapter is about 1100 words. So it's, it's a freebie. When you get the book, you get the chapter on rest online. Um, and there's also a little guide online on how to pray scripture. Um, I mentioned that earlier, just how for a long time I found myself feeling guilty and like a bad Christ follower because I thought prayer was a little bit boring. Praying scripture <laughs> totally changed that for me. So I just took my process of how I pray scripture and put it in a little ebook and you get that for free with the book too. So um, all that's at immovablebook.com. Um, you can also, you know, search around on the website there. All my speaking information is there. You can find my social media links. Love Instagram. And I'm learning to love it more because of you. Thank you, Kelsey. <laughs> um, so I'm at Meredith underscore A underscore King. And I would love for people to connect. Oh, I forgot. You can get a free chapter um, at immovablebook.com. So, I mean, why not? Like, just get a little taste of the book. So go there and download the first, like the introduction and the first chapter for free. You can get it completely Woo! for free at immovablebook.com. And then all the leadership work that, that I'm privileged to do is through Integris. So you can find that at integris.org. Um, all the masterminds, all the coaching that we do. Um, and I, I am one person on a very dynamic, amazing team. And, um, but we're all just so passionate about the work that we do. And so all that can be found there. So questions, you know, just reach out however you can find me on social media or whatever, and I can point you in the right direction for whatever people need. But I think a great next step is to download the free chapter of the book. So that's a no-brainer. Absolutely. And that will all be linked up in the show notes. And Meredith, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, Kelsey, you are so fun. Thank you for having me. We'll have you back for round three soon enough. I can't wait. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. Duncan is here to keep you running with a much needed taste of normal to work, home or work from home with the coffee you like just the way you like it. Whether that's a small hot black coffee, your daily 2 p.m. latte, or a bacon, egg, and cheese croissant and a medium iced coffee with oat milk, one sugar, two pumps of caramel, one pump hazelnut, a swirl of French vanilla, and a shot of espresso. I call it my p.m. pep rally. You should really try it. Whatever it is that gets you running, Dunkin's got you and always will. America runs on Dunkin'. The final countdown has begun. Whatever you do, don't miss the end-of-year clearance this weekend at Levin's. Save up to 60% on close-out special buys and doorbusters. Plus, get an extra 15% off all sale merchandise and take up to 60 months to pay. Save 308 on our Wilmington Sofa Chase. Now 891 with extra discounts. Plus, get the 100th anniversary hybrid mattress. Now only 398 The final countdown. Now at Levin Furniture and Mattress.